Hello friends, it's Jim Nance and it's my great pleasure to welcome you to Beyond the Clubhouse, a podcast hosted by my friend Garrett Johnston. He is a testament to one of the great things about this sport, the friendships that come from playing or even just talking about the game. And you're going to meet some of the characters that Garrett has gotten to know from this past decade plus that he's been covering the sport. You're going to hear from players, caddies, members of the media. You're going to get the storytelling, the golf news, the players' swing tips, and a whole lot of laughs. It's coming your way with this edition of Beyond the Clubhouse. Here's Garrett. All right, Jim Nance, great stuff there. Appreciate the introduction. And a big week for Nance, of course, is they're in his backyard at Monterey for the Pebble Beach AT&T Pro-Am. A big week, obviously, uh, going on there. Uh, exciting storylines. Of course, Jordan Spieth, a big part of it. And uh, other young names, too. Daniel Berger uh, for the whole weekend. So hope you enjoyed watching that. And, of course, I've got one of the all-time AT&T Pebble Beach or Crosby Clambake, as it used to be called, players for over three decades. Peter Jacobson was such a mainstay at that event. So many amazing stories. He was 20 years the partner of Jack Lemmon, the famous actor. Of course, they had the human chain over there in the 80s, <laughs> over there at Cypress Point when that was part of the rotation. So many cool stories. Of course, he's a huge Arnold Palmer fan and had a great relationship with Arnold Palmer over the years. So we get into some of those great stories and, of course, Bay Hill, which is coming up pretty soon here in March. So let's get to it here with Peter Jacobson. Of course, a great television career. We get into that as well. So many fun topics to cover there. Before that, Encore Golf. Check them out at EncoreGolf.com. And they have the Elixir Golf Ball, which you need to check out. It's $49.98 for a limited time. If you put in my promo code BClubhouse, B is in Bravo, Clubhouse, you'll get 10% off, which would be $5 in that case for their two dozen golf balls. So you're looking at $45 bucks for two dozen golf balls. These are some awesome tour-quality golf balls. Check them out. Hey, if you're tired of losing a $4 golf ball, this is the way to go. Very strong ratings from Golf Digest and many others over the years as well. So check them out, EncoreGolf.com. And let's get to it here. Peter Jacobson on Beyond the Clubhouse. All right, my next guest is one of the greatest people, one of the funnest personalities in all of golf, Peter Jacobson, and he's a seven-time PGA Tour winner. He has championed the AT&T Pebble Beach. Of course, it's the Crosby Clambake. That's really what it is, that event in Pebble Beach for so many years. Peter, what's going on today? How are you? I'm good, Garrett. Thanks for having me. Yes, you're right. I am uh, a huge supporter of the AT&T Crosby Clambake for many reasons, but the most... The most important reason is it's the most important tournament on our schedule, simply because we have the chance to partner with or spend a week with or five days, six days inside the ropes with those executives and corporate EVPs that support our game. We have a chance to play with the CEOs that are the uh, CEOs of, of uh, companies that title sponsor these events. So it's a small price to pay for us players to be able to do what we do. If you were to ask a tour player, would you, would you give up one week a year to where you're not going to worry about how you play, you're just going to go out, and oh, by the way, we're playing one of the coolest courses in the coolest cities. Would you give up one week to make two, three, four, ten million dollars a year? I guarantee you every answer would be yes. That's why I'm a huge proponent of the AT&T. Yes, uh, the Crosby clan make, it goes back so far to good old Bing Crosby and what he started there on the peninsula. Let me ask you this. 
we know so many great stories. The human chain comes to mind for you in the, I think it was the 80s over there at Cyprus. Uh, tell us about how that happened, the human chain there with Jack Lemon hitting the shot and you holding on. Jack Lemon and I played 20 years as partners. And we always played with Clint and Clint's part, partner, usually Greg Norman. So, again, Greg was such a great sport. He knew that it was so important to the tournament for he – for him to be playing with the tournament host, Clint Eastwood. Greg was probably the most famous player playing at that time. So it was an honor for Jack and I to, to be able to be paired with them. We were playing Cypress Point, which was in the rotation at that time. And we got to the par 316th, the world famous par three, which plays out over the edge of the rocks on the Pacific Ocean. Greg and I played to the green with, I think, three woods and we either were on the green or close to it, so we were safe. But both Jack Lemon and Clint Eastwood didn't have the strength or the length to carry it all the way on the green, so they laid it up to the left. There's, there's a little area you walk around. There's, there's grass. There's turf. It's a layup on the par three. Well, Clint found the grass, but Jack didn't. Jack found the ice plant barely over the cliff. And we walked around, and Jack just waved it off. He said, hey, uh, yeah, you're old, partner. Like I'd never heard that before. And right. Clint walked over, and he, he bent down, and he saw the ball right on the edge, and he, he, he said, you got to play that son of a gun. You can't let that go. And I said, no, no, this is a bad idea, bad idea. Jack just grabbed a wedge and started marching over to the edge. And I thought, no, this is a bad idea. This is – precariously close to the edge. And I mean, on the edge. So Clint said, don't worry, I got it. As Jack started inching his way closer to the ball, Eastwood grabbed his belt in the back of his pants and he pointed to him, he pointed to me to grab his belt. And then Norman grabbed mine or grabbed my arm or whatever it was. That formed the human chain of safety in golf and sure enough lemon got down there he took a whack at it with a wedge out of the ice plant nobody gets the ball out of the ice plant you know that but jack lemon did popped it back out on the fairway and he starts high-fiving everybody high-fiving the score all of us the cameras were rolling i think ben Turi and jim nance were on the call and sure enough lemon got to his next shot his third shot 60 yards grabbed a wedge and shanked the ball right back in the ocean so that's probably where it should have been all along. We just didn't want Jack Lemon or Clint Eastwood to join that golf ball in the ocean. Oh my gosh, never. Ne ne you would never want that. You know, I've got an impromptu here. I, was, I covered the AT&T a uh, year and a half ago. This is what they were giving out to media. It's old um, Clint's Saloon. It's, it's this old little uh, doll they had there. <laughs> Dirty Harry, I got I to gotta tell you a cute story about Clint. Way back, I played, was invited to play in Gerald Ford, former president, Gerald Ford's Pro-Am in Vail. And I had met Clint once or twice, but we, we weren't friends. So sure enough, my, I took my dad with me. My mom and dad had just gotten divorced. So my dad was down in the dumps. I took him with me to Vail. Well, he met all these celebrities, all these famous people. President Ford, Joe Garagiola, the old baseball announcer. And he met so many people. He was, on, he, was on, he was on cloud nine. We get out to the course the next day, and I'm paired with Clint Eastwood. And we get out on the course. We, I introduce myself to my four pro-am 
partners, reacquaint myself with Clint, we teed off. And I said to the four guys, do you mind if my dad walks with us inside the ropes? He just got my mom and dad are splitting up. And they, of course, said, no, no, it's great. So my dad comes in. His name was Erling, which is my middle name. A good Norwegian man. Peter Erling Jacobson is my name. His was Erling Jacobson. So he walked in the crowd, walked in the ropes with my guys. My dad's pretty gregarious. He meets the three amateur partners. And we're on about the fourth or fifth hole, and he meets Clint. He goes, hey, Clint, how are you? I'm Erling Jacobson. Nice to meet you. Clint, what do you do? And Clint looks at him. Now, now at the time, Clint is the actor. He is the guy. He's Dirty Harry. So he looks at my dad, looks at me, and I'm dying a slow death because I'm, now I'm embarrassed. Clint goes, uh, well, I'm, I've got a series of movies out now called Dirty I'm Dirty Harry and Harry Magnum, Magnum P.I., uh, Do You Feel Lucky, Punk, Make My Day, all that. And my dad looks at him and goes, nope, don't know him. And then Clint says, well, you might know some of my spaghetti westerns, Outlaw Josie Wales, Hang Em High. Good, bad, and uh, the ugly. Good, bad, and the ugly. My dad looks at him and goes, nope, <laughs> sorry, don't know those either. And now I, I'm on the ground trying to, slither away because I'm so I'm just dying with embarrassment Clint is so cool he looks at my dad and says you might might know my first show I ever did I did a show called Rawhide and my dad says you're Rowdy Yates you were one of the ranch hands and Clint says that's right I was well they bonded and Clint looked at me and I apologized I said I am so sorry my dad didn't know who you were and he goes you know what the way the ride, the, the wave I've been riding so high, he goes, that was good for me. Got me, got me back on earth. Give me a little humility. It was good for me. And my dad, every time he came down to Pebble Beach, we always hooked up with Clint. I always stayed at his place called Mission Ranch down in Carmel. And uh, that, was a, that was an amazing story. When I tell people that story, they don't believe it. Because at the time, Clint Eastwood was as who he is today. Clint Eastwood, one of the the greatest actors of all time but my dad you know what he didn't know him that is amazing what a story and to give credit to your dad and, and be able to, to share with those celebrities and have him experience that side of life with you it must have been awesome i think about your dad and it makes me think about where you grew up in oregon playing amateur events playing junior events what really comes to mind in terms of sentimental memories for you when I started playing junior golf, it was because I loved the game. My mom and dad and my, my two brothers and sister, David, Peter, Paul, Susan, we were all diehard golfers. That's all we did. We used to drive down to Pebble during spring break. When we were in high school. We would jump in the old station wagon, drive down, and play 36 a day. So Pebble Beach, to me, is like home. But it was all about family for me. Golf was family when I was playing in high school and even in college, I went to University of Oregon and I just loved golf so much. And I loved the people in the game, people that I met, people that I could share stories with. And it's, and it's even better today because having played the tour all these years and having met CEOs and, and athletes and celebrities from all, and people from all walks of life, you realize that, that how, how wide ranging and all encompassing the game of golf is. People of all ages and races and genders and, and colors and economic backgrounds, 
it's fantastic. And that's why I'm, I'm, I'm just a huge golf fan. The fact that I was able to play my whole career and benefit from it is, is so wonderful. But uh, now I feel like it's the time to, to give back. Yes. Well, you mentioned music. You mentioned entertainment. Of course, Jake Trout and the Flounders, Payne Stewart, Mark Lye. Wow. Some great history there. Let me ask you this. In all the people you've touched, I love Beyond the Clubhouse. It's about the friendships of golf, my podcast. So all the people that you've spent time with, celebrities, when you performed musically, what have been some of the best memories as it relates to maybe you surprised a, a fam- Michael Jordan or a famous athlete and said, wow, you have got some amazing sk- singing abilities. Well, I, I'm not so sure about that, but we, we, there guys on tour love to hunt and they love to fish. I've never, I've never been into that. I always traveled with my guitar and played guitar. And then I met Mark Lye, who I've known since junior golf. He's a guitar player. Then Ran into Payne Stewart when I joined the tour. He played harmonica. Larry Rinker played guitar. John Daly played guitar. John Inman, he played piano. So Dean Beeman, he knew we all loved golf, or we all loved music. So Dean Beeman, when he was commissioner of the tour, he said, would you guys put together a little band and perform at the Players' Championship dinner? So we did that. And we were all talking about writing songs and performing. And I said, okay, who's going to sing? And they all went, well, I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to sing. I can't sing. And they go, you're going to sing. I said, well, no, I can't sing. I don't sing. Well, by, I got the short straw. I ended up being the singer. And we had more fun performing. We must have done eight or ten live gigs on the PGA Tour. And we recorded two records that are on iTunes to this day. And we recorded with some incredible Hall of Fame musicians, Stephen Stills, Glenn Fry, Graham Nash, Darius Rucker, you know, uh, 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 Bruce Hornsby, uh, uh, Kevin Cronin from Ario Speedwagon, on and on. We, and we actually got in the studio with these people, Alice Cooper, who's a huge golf nut. And uh, we met these guys because of their love of golf. And then our love of music came through when we, when whenever Payne or Mark and I or John Daly played with them, we had a chance to talk about music while they wanted to talk about golf. And, and that's the way it is to this day. Whenever I'm doing a tournament, I do the American Century Championship every year in Tahoe, and I have a chance to talk to Barkley and Steph Curry and Tony Romo and Jerry Rice and all these athletes. They don't want to talk about football, baseball, basketball. <laughs> they want to talk about golf. And we end up on the range hitting shots and giving lessons and telling stories. So it's, it's the people of the game that, this, that it's all about for me. Yes. Well, you mentioned Steph Curry. I think about AT&T, or excuse me, the uh, American Century Championship. What's a favorite memory with Steph at that event for you guys? The first time I ever met Steph, he was playing in the Pro-Am, and I had to do my duties. I had to go out and look at the golf course and – familiarize myself with not only the players I didn't know, but also some of the amateurs that were in the field. And I went out to walk with Steph for 16, 17, and 18. I was so surprised by the number of people he had walking with him inside the ropes. He's like a Pied Piper. He's like Michael Jordan. He's so kind and so good with people. And they were all kids. They weren't adults like your age or my age. They were kids. 
And every time he'd hit a shot, the young man would ask him a question about golf or basketball. He would take the time and answer the questions and walk along with his group. And we got to the 18th hole and he hit a shot to the par five. And I just, I went up and introduced myself to him. I obviously had Golf Channel NBC shirt on and he was just the nicest man in the world. And I've since gotten to know Steph a little better and his father, his father, Dell. They play every year, and and, and it always makes me it, – it, it, I always appreciate how famous these people are. Charles Barkley is another one. Tony Romo. Justin Timberlake. They are so – they're so famous and at the top of their sport. I'm somewhere between the middle and the bottom in my, in my sport. They're at the top of their game and their sport, yet they're so kind to people. And that's what sets them apart. That's what makes me realize that people have taken the lead from, from the Arnold Palmers and the Clint Eastwoods and the, and the Jack Lemons and the Jack Nicholases in this world. They're kind to people that support them and support the game. And that's, that's a really important message. Yes. Well, we'll get to Arnold Palmer in a minute because I, I love his legacy and, and what he meant to you, that friendship you guys have. Before we get there, uh, other players, I'm thinking of this coming week, you got the Diamond Resorts Invitational. Pardon the, the hammer in the background here. We got some construction. But there's a Diamond Resorts Invitational coming up the field. You got Kevin Millar. You've got all these baseball players. John Smoltz. Have you played with some of those guys like Millar before? Yes, I have. I played with them. I did a, I did a, a, a big break with Kevin uh, and the Boston Red Sox. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Kevin is amazing. He is uh, he's a really good player, but, my gosh, he is so funny. And as you know, guys give each other a hard time. Guys tell each other they love each other and they appreciate each other by giving each other the needle. Women like to give hugs and kisses when my wife and daughters are around. Oh, I love you. I love you. But guys love to stick the needle in. And Kevin Millar might be the king of the crop. He is so good at giving people a hard time, like Barkley and like Michael Jordan. Whenever you play golf with Jordan, and Payne Stewart, the, the late Payne Stewart, and Mickelson, Phil Mickelson. There's always the needle. There's always the jab, usually because there's some money on the line. And I've, I've had a few gambling games with Mickelson where they try to get in your head on the, on the next putt or the next shot. But those guys, Kevin Millar is, is one of the best. Yes. Yeah, he is. He's great. And you mentioned Mickelson, too. I'm thinking of other athletes. Aaron Rodgers, we see at the AT&T all the time now. Have you had a chance to play with Aaron Rodgers or Larry Fitzgerald much? I've, uh, I've watched them at the AT&T. I played in front of Larry one year, a couple years, actually. And he's got a beautiful swing. And he's a, he's a real ambassador in the game. He's a, he's a trustee of the PGA Reach program, which is part of the PGA of America, giving back more inclusion and, and the diversity in the game. Larry's an amazing guy. But the, uh, it's just so much fun. I, play, I played with uh, Vice President Dan Quayle uh, at the AT&T, uh, played with George C. Scott one year at the AT&T, Sean Connery. I've just had, just had the great luck to play with some amazing people, and it's all because of golf. Yes. Yeah. The, the great uniter really brings so many people together. And now we get to Arnold Palmer, who really is the epitome of that. Um, I met you, Peter, at Bay Hill, his very last 
Bay Hill, 2016. That was the last one he attended before he passed away. And I saw you leave the TV compound. Paint a picture for our audience here. You're leaving the TV compound on, off of 16. You see Arnie's cart in the fairway following his grandson, Sam Saunders, and you walk down there. You spend the last three holes with your idol, Arnie, your buddy. Tell me about what those, those moments were like. Whenever I got to the Arnold Palmer Invitational, and I've been fortunate now with NBC for 10 or 12 years to do that tournament every year. And up to his death, uh, he and I partnered together in a lot of tournaments, the Shark Shootout, Fred Meyer Challenge, CBS Charity Classic. We partnered together. And that, it's probably the greatest thrill of my career to say that Arnold and I were partners for so many years in so many tournaments. And whenever I would get to Bay Hill, I always made a beeline to see him in his office. Because if I didn't come up and see him, he'd get mad. And he, he felt such a kinship to the players. Oh, one day, I remember I was walking up the stairs to go to his office, and Davis Love the third and Zach Johnson were right below the stairs. And they said, you going up to see Arnold? I said, yeah. Can we go with you? I said, of course. Arnold's got a, had an open door. So we walked in there, and this was the last year of his life. And we walked in, we sat down, and Arnold held court with three of us for 15 minutes. And then I, I actually had to go to work. I had to go do TV. And Davis and Zach wanted to go practice, or they maybe were done. But they said, look, we better go now. And Arnold said, where are you going? Stay, please. He loved to share ideas about the game, design, shot making, shafts, swing weights, uh, loft and lies, everything about the game of golf. So I always made a beeline to his office to say hello. Now, in that one case where I saw you, we had just gone off TV. I was in the tower on 15, and I saw uh, uh, Sam had just made a great up and down on 15 for par to stay tied for the lead. So I looked over there, and I saw Arnold and his wife, Kit, in the cart. I came down the tower, walked over to his cart, and he was into Sam's game. And I put my hand on his shoulder, and he didn't turn around because, obviously, he gets a lot of people to put their hands on his shoulder at, the, at Bay Hill. <laughs> and I watched him watch Sam hit the tee ball perfect down the middle. And I said, Arnold, he's doing great. And he turned to me, and he said, hey, hey, hop in the cart. So Kit scooted over, and I hopped in the cart. And we drove the last three holes, 16, 17, and 18. Sam birdied 16, uh, parred 17. I think he bogeyed 18. And I think he ended the day one back of the, of the lead. But Arnold was so proud watching Sam play because he learned everything from Arnold. And he was his protege. Sam was his protege. And it was just a, just a special time. Ironically, I'm going to go back about – 10 years when Arnold played his last Arnold Palmer Invitational. He paired the first two days with Jay Haas and I. And Jay and I played and Arnold missed the cut. Jay missed the cut, but I made the cut. But on Saturday at Bay Hill, I think I shot some crazy number 79 or 80. So I was off alone on Sunday. Well, nobody wants to play alone. So I went to Arnold at his office. I said, do you have somebody I could play with Sunday? He goes, let me think about it. Ten minutes later, he said, how about my grandson, Sam? He was 13. So we teed off Sunday morning, and Arnold had his cart 
And he wanted, he didn't want to watch me play. He's had enough of me. He followed down the fairway behind our group, Sam and I, for 18 holes. And of course, I kept calling the marshal saying, would you get this old man in his cart off the fairway, please? He's bothering my game. And so we got a, we had a big kick out of that. But we must have had 500 people following us because they wanted to watch Sam play. I, re I resurrected myself. I shot 69. It was improved by about 10 strokes. But the impressive thing was Sam shot 73 or 74 as the 13-year-old playing the back tees at Bay Hill in the Arnold Palmer Invitational final round. So that's pretty impressive. Yes, you were there for, for Arnie watching his grandson's first time at, at Bay Hill in competition and his last time in terms of right. Arnie's, Arnie's presence in 2016. What a moment. We will revisit that at some point, Peter. I love the story that we get to about the heart of Arnold Palmer there. Real quick, impersonations. You are so good at these. You already talked about Clint Eastwood. Give us some current PGA Tour player impersonations. What, do you, what have you worked on? What are you happy with here? We got Rory. We got Justin Thomas. You know what's difficult about that? I did that when I was a kid. We used to watch, my dad loved golf, and we watched CBS Golf Classic at Shell's Wonderful <laughs> World of Golf. And my dad really kind of taught us how to hit shots by watching the players. If I wanted to hit a cut, I'd do a Trevino. If I wanted to hit a hook, I'd do a Palmer. If I wanted to knock it down, I'd do a player. So I kind of got into doing that as a way to hit shots. And when I got into college, I screwed around on the range and did that. And when I got on tour, my good friend D.A. Weibring, former tour player, and I, we would do that at clinics. And I just, I did Craig Stadler and Jack and Arnold and Trevino and uh, uh, Doug Sanders and, and you name it. I did all those. But I think it was because it was in my DNA. I had watched and, and revered these players so much that it became a part of me. Craig Stadler, Hubert Green. I did Raymond Floyd. I did a lot of these guys. But the new guys today, everybody... Now, remember, those swings were quirky. Miller Barber. Remember Mr. X with the flying elbow? The guys today have their swing gurus. Everybody has a video camera, and there's a swing app on your phone. So swings today look very similar. The only thing that's different are the mannerisms. When you look at a Bubba Watson, Bubba Watson never stops moving. You look at a Jason Duffner, Jason, he's got the chaw in the lip. Um, uh, Tiger's got, you know, Tiger's used to have his head down all the time. But now Tiger's looking around and engaging more. Uh, Phil's always got that, he's always got that smile on his face, that Cheshire cat grin. So, uh but if I could swing like those players today, I'd do it because their swings are a heck of a lot better than the one I'm trying to trying to put out there right now. Oh, man. Well, you're talking about swings there, but I want to hear a voice. You are such a great voice impersonator. I mean, do you have a, you have to have a great Phil Mickelson voice. you got to have a go-to there. I don't. I really don't. I don't. I apologize. I'm killing your podcast. No, this is great. Well, I love to put the, the, the gift of Gabber on the spot, and he doesn't have anything. I love I've it. I've got nothing for you. Stump the band. Okay, JT, Rahm, or Bryson. Those three players, you have to choose who's going to have the most majors when it's all said and done. I think Justin Thomas. Justin okay. Thomas. You said JT. Rahm or Bryson, those three. 
it's always tough doing something like trying to prognosticate because injury plays a big part. When, when Tiger was, gosh, I remember when Tiger was 16 years old playing in the LA Open, I was on the range watching him play. And I, everybody was talking about this young kid, Tiger Woods, Eldrick Woods. And they're all saying he's going to be the greatest. Well, you have to put that into perspective. When we look back on Tiger's career, I think he could have passed Jack, Jack's record of 18 majors had, had he not gotten hurt. And I do believe that we were robbed of watching one of the greatest, if not the greatest player in the history of the game, Tiger Woods, break Jack's record if he hadn't got hurt. So when you start talking about JT Bryson and, and Rom, obviously Rom is just an incredibly gifted athlete who plays with feel. Short backswing, a little bit, little bit shut. You want to call it shut at the top which I think allows him to really release it and get a lot of snap on the ball. I think he's probably got the most natural swing. Justin Thomas is a little more upright. He's a little guy, but he develops such swing speed and such power. And I love his fight. I love Justin Thomas's fight. And Bryson, what's so impressive about Bryson to me, again, I've known Bryson since he was 11 years old. I used to do an event down in Fresno where he's from, and he used to participate in the clinics with me. And, uh, well, are you there? Yep. There you go. Sorry, I lost you for a minute. He used to participate in the clinics whenever we would do these as a little kid. What's impressive about Bryson is that he thinks outside the box. He lives outside the box. And I know people are upset because he's, he's increasing his speed and he's getting stronger and He's more fit, and he's, he's really chasing history in the game of golf by, ch by changing the norms, changing the beliefs. I admire that about him. What I worry about him is working too hard to increase the speed too much and hurting himself. That's what I worry about. I think I read where he's over 200 miles per hour on ball speed. That's, that's crazy. That, that, that's enough. I would say, Bryson, stop. Now go hone your game and add on to that U.S. Open major championship. Win another. Win another major. Win a Masters. Win another Open. Win a U.S. Open. Win a, win a PGA championship. But I think they're all distinctly different players for different reasons. But the one thing that I, I hope not, nobody has to go through is any injury. Yes, that's a huge hope for all of us. As we wrap up, got a couple more minutes left here. The last story I wanted to ask you about, Fluff and Tiger at Milwaukee. Of course, you, Fluff was your guy on your bag, and there he was with Tiger. And Tiger w had called you, and Fluff called you, and, and the things they talked about. Tiger said, we got free food. I mean, tell us about the, those moments early on of Hello World. The week before Tiger's first tournament and Hello World, he was in Portland winning the U.S. Amateur, his third straight U.S. Amateur, and his sixth straight USGA Championship. Three juniors, three amateurs. He was the bomb. He was the best by far. He turned pro. My caddy fluff was, I was taking the fall off. My back was bugging me, and I had three young kids playing t-ball and, you know, you know the whole deal. Of course. Soccer and things like that. So Fluff went to work for Tiger for like four weeks. 
and Fluff said, I'm going to go to work for Tiger for four weeks, but I'm your caddy and don't, don't think I'm leaving. And so they're working together. Tuesday night of Milwaukee, Tiger calls me and says, this is unbelievable. They gave me a car to drive, a free car. And there's free food. It's hot food in the locker room. It's unbelievable. And I said, well, Tiger, it's, it's the tour. All these tournaments compete against each other to get the best fields. And they have the greatest amenities that they can find. So, yeah, get used to that. <laughs> Fluff called me right after that and said, I've never seen a kid or any player hit shots like this kid. He said he's humble. He wants to learn. He's good to be around. And he can play. I said, okay. Well, needless to say, they finished, I think, eighth in that tournament. And then he won a couple tournaments. And the funny part of that was Mark Rolfing was covering for, I think, ESPN that week. And Fluff had walked over to Mark and said, Mark, I know you see me caddying for Tiger. I caddy for Peter Jacobs, and this is just a temporary gig. Well, that hole, Tiger made a hole-in-one on a par three. And Fluff walked back over to Mark Rolfing and said, you know what I said about caddy for Peter Jacobson? Never mind. Don't mention that. I think I'm going to be Tiger Woods' caddy. So, obviously, it was all good when Fluff called and said, look, I've, Tiger's offered me the job. What do I do? I said, Mike, you got to go caddy for Tiger. He's going to be the best player ever, possibly. And my wife grabbed the phone and said, Mike, you're fired. You need to find another job. Go work for that young kid, Tiger Woods. So it was a really fun time, and I'm glad he did it. I was at the end of my career, and Tiger was at the beginning of his. And what, what a chance to work for one of the greatest players in the history of the game, like Tiger Woods. Yes, and as we wrap up, you speak about your colleagues, uh, Mark Rolfing. I think about one of the greatest voices in all of golf, Dan Hicks, calling Tiger shot. Expect anything different. What has it been like working with Dan over these years? It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, the second part of my career when Tommy Roy and NBC Sports and Golf Channel gave me a chance to jump up into the TV tower and work with Mike Tirico and Dan Hicks and Johnny Miller and Gary Koch and Faraday and now Azinger and Rolfing and Noda Begay. We have such a great team and they're wonderful people. And again, I'm just a, I'm just a golfer and I'm trying to strap on a headset and talk about golf. And I learn from these guys every day and I continue to learn. Even at the ripe old age of 66, I learn every day because again, as I said throughout the podcast, for me, it's about golf and people in golf and and I'm not the best player in the game, but I know I'm not the worst player in the game. And if I can share some of my experiences with viewers out there in, in TV land, then, then all the better because I, I'm better because I've been in the game. Yes, you have for sure. Peter, been a great time getting to know you a little bit more here on Beyond the Clubhouse. Thanks again for coming on. You got it, Garrett. All the best. See you at the AT&T, hopefully. I love that visit with Peter Jacobson. So many cool stories from the AT&T, uh, an event he loves so dearly. Of course, it was great to hear older stories with Arnold Palmer and, and stuff from back in his time up in the Pacific Northwest, up in Oregon. So, so many cool things that we got into there. Hope you enjoyed it there with Peter Jacobson. We're going to have a lot of videos coming out from this interview. Check them out on Twitter, at Johnston Garrett, as well as at Beyond Clubhouse. Same thing on Instagram, at Garrett Johnston Golf, and at Beyond the Clubhouse Podcast. 
a lot of other cool interviews coming up. Hope you enjoyed this one here, and we'll talk to you again soon on Beyond the Clubhouse.